Welcome. This is it. We have over a decade of episodes unpacking stories and life to help you discover your purpose, your divine design, and what you are wired to do. This is Patty Lynn Wyatt. Please subscribe on YouTube or subscribe to Girlfriend It so we can be in it together. Well, welcome to Girlfriend It. We celebrated some incredible female figures during Women's History Month. And, you know, as we're looking down, we're closing. It's the last day we should be celebrating these women all the time. And and what about the women of scripture? The ones with superhero-sized faith that literally turned the world on its axis. Well, we have a treat for you on this episode as we learn more about these kick-butt women who made radical, bold choices. Our guest today, Dr. Amy Jill Levine, is an internationally renowned scholar and teacher. She's the author of numerous books. As a matter of fact, the last time I had her on the podcast was right after her release of The Difficult Worlds of of Jesus. I'm sorry, The Difficult Words of Jesus, A Beginner's Guide to His Most Perplexing Teachings. And I so enjoyed our last interview that I begged to have her back. And now her latest release, Witness at the Cross, A Beginner's Guide to Holy Friday. So welcome, Dr. Levine. How are you today? It is so good to be back with you. I really thought we were on a first name basis and you were just going to call me AJ. (laughs) Okay, AJ, I, I love that. You know, you told me that that last time that you were on the podcast, but I have to admit um, I'm I'm a little bit intimidated um, by you, and honestly, I get a little tongue-tied, and and I just can't help but call you um, Dr. Levine. That sounds oh just like you sound like a fan girl. <laughs> I know, <laughs> I know, I am. Don't don't do that. Just call me AJ, because if if when you start using these titles, then people get put on pedestals, and you can't have a decent conversation. I think that's why Jesus in Matthew said, like, don't call anybody rabbi. You know, learn from everybody else and, and be part of this broader family where folks who are interested in the same thing, and in our case, interested in Jesus, can actually have a good conversation without titles or prestige or university degrees getting in the way. Yeah, you know what? And that is such a good point. I had a professor, and no names mentioned, but uh, always had to be called doctor. And at one point, I was at a wedding where her and her husband were signing the guest list and he signed them both in and didn't put her name as doctor. And so on the next line, she signed in and I saw that she wanted her name individually as doctor (laughs) (laughs) so-and-so. I remember thinking, oh, wow, I have never called her anything else but doctor. so I guess when you work that hard for it, you you want that acknowledgement, but you are so spot on. Uh, let's all come on the same playing field and, and be transparent and vulnerable and have some great conversations. So I appreciate that. So with that, AJ, I, I'm you. curious, someone that is like you, I, I look at you and you I think, oh, she just has to have her head in the Bible and scripture or in a book studying at all time. I, Do you ever just binge on Netflix? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, in fact, um, I do. And and while I'm watching, uh, you know, the latest series uh, on which my husband and I can agree, um, I also knit. 
Um, so ah. so I, I, I'm not just studying the Bible all, all the time, just most of the time. And that's because I like it. It's, yeah. it's, not, it's not a chore. I mean, grading yeah. papers is a chore. But, but studying this stuff and reading commentaries on it, I find it fascinating. And yeah. if you want to yeah. talk about the Bible and women, you know, I, I could do that till the Messianic age begins in, in full bloom. <laughs> so so you will admit to like watching a silly Lucille Ball episode? <laughs> <laughs> I have watched reruns of Lucille Ball. I have watched reruns of the Golden Girls. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Um. And I've watched everything that has anything to do with Star Trek, including the new two series that are on. Oh, so you're a little bit of a nerd then if you're watching. Oh, I'm entirely a nerd. (laughs) So what's the last fiction book you've read? Uh, I I don't read books. I can't because I'm so I'm so tempted to underline. So the way I do fiction (laughs) is I listen to books on tape. so I have this this lovely application on my phone called Overdrive, which is based in public library systems. Uh, and I am right now listening to the complete works of Agatha Christie. Ah, okay. Okay. I I like Agatha Christie. That that sounds good. I will have to I I have that as well, the library app, and then I do um Audible. So Oh, I, sh- I should also note that that I love British murder mysteries. So I've watched every single one of Midsummer Murders twice. I don't think there's anybody alive still in the Cotswolds after after all those murders <laughs> take place. And I'm okay with that. I'm writing that one down. Oh, well, this month we have celebrated women and I love my my gender. So it's super fun to unpack the women in the Bible. And you did just that. So my my first question for you is who is your female hero in the Bible? Do I have to pick only one? That's I know, not I know. Okay, top two. Oh, geez. Ooh, I really like Martha, the sister of Mary. Um, first of all, she's got a mouth on her and she says exactly what she thinks. And I respect that. Uh-huh. Um, you know, in Luke, she says to Jesus, like, you know, my sister's sitting here. Tell her to help me. I'm busy. Um, and for all these commentaries that say, oh, she's worried about the kitchen or she wants, you know, the, the, the cucumbers shaped into flowers. What? No. Um, what the Greek actually says is she's busy with much diaconate, busy with much deaconing, busy with much ministry. Mm. So she could also be, you know, helping somebody who, who needs uh, medical attention. She might be feeding little children who are hungry. Uh, she might be counseling people who are spiritually distressed. I mean, just and, and what happens is we just locate her in the kitchen. Um, and she says, you know, tell her to help me. Um, and when Jesus says to her, Martha, Martha, which sounds just like the Brady bunch, Marsha, Marsha, you know, like you're worried and distracted. You know, Mary's got the one thing that's important, which in this case is yes, if you have a guest coming to your house, I mean, just any guest, forget about the fact that Luke says he's the son of God, just any guest, you take a minute out and you say, let me greet my guest. And if it happens to be Jesus and you're aware that his teaching is important, then you might think it might be a good idea to get some instruction before you go off and do your ministry. So Jesus shuts her down, not because she's a woman, but because she's a householder. And if you look at the rest of Luke, every time Jesus has dinner at somebody's house, usually a Pharisee's house, he criticizes the host for not being a good host. So Martha's not shut down because of her ministry to the contrary. And when you get to the the Gospel of John, there's Martha. So can I tell you, this is just so fantastic, right? So Lazarus has died. Martha's upset because Jesus is late getting to him. Um, And when Jesus finally gets to the tomb, Martha says to him, look, look, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And I think she said it just like that because she's fabulous. 
And then after she and Jesus have this terrific conversation we, where she comes out with a better confession than Peter does at Caesarea Philippi in Matthew 16, um, she goes to Mary and she says, listen, the teacher's calling you. He never did. She made it up because she wants to bring her sister there. Too. What a fabulous woman. I could go on, but that's probably enough. I just really like Martha. Yeah. Well, uh, since you were saying that, I, it it made me laugh because you 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 mentioned that Martha wasn't in there cutting up cucumbers into shapes of flowers, uh, because I always think of that with with Eve as well. Like her, let's admit, you know, her divine design. Uh, we get caught up and God created her to be a helper. Like she just needed to do the laundry and dishes, right? And yet it's like, okay, God created her to do amazing things. And yet she's the one that gets blamed for the tragic choice, you know, with the fruit in the garden. Um, But she wasn't the only guilty party involved here. And she was created for for so much more than that. And how we, I I, I just think of some of the the ways that I heard the story growing up is is pretty ridiculous. Just like you were saying, she she wasn't just cutting cucumbers. <laughs> uh, well, so here we have a distinction between how the Jewish tradition and the Christian tradition looked at Eve. Um, so in Judaism, Adam and Eve actually don't play a huge role because after Genesis five, Eve doesn't show up. So if you look at, at what the church calls the old Testament, you get lots of, you know, post Genesis garden of Eden references, mm-hmm. uh, but very little about Adam and Eve. Um, so there's no sense in Judaism of, of a kind of original sin where we're, we're in this, this broken relationship that has to get fixed by the death of Jesus. Cause we don't start that way. Um, Judaism more like has an original opportunity, like you're thrown out of Eden, but God goes with you. So now what are you going to do? Um, where we get this really bad Eve stuff comes from a New Testament document called First Timothy, um, which is ascribed to Paul. But a lot of biblical scholars think it was written in Paul's name, but not actually by Paul, because um, people did that back then. Um, so we it, to, we would not call that forgery because that's it's they they weren't writing to be dishonest. We'd call it pseudepigraphy, which is a fancy academic name for polite forgery. Anyway, what first what first first Timothy two says is says the man was not deceived. Like you know, Adam knew exactly what he was doing, but it was the woman who was deceived and became a transgressor. In other words, when Eve hands Adam this piece of fruit, and there's no like you know, come here, big boy, and she's not swinging her hips. Um, and she's probably not a size two either. But anyway, so so he eats he eats the fruit. You know, he doesn't say, where did you get it, sweetie? You know, he just eats like this dope. Um, and First Timothy says, oh, he wasn't deceived. In other words, when Eve took that bite, Adam knew that she had given up the possibility of immortality. And then in solidarity with her, he takes a bite too, because he's such a guy. I'm not, you know, I'm not really buying this. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think they're both responsible. And you have to wonder, like, you know, who told Eve about the tree? Because the whole tree information was delivered to Adam prior to the creation of Eve. Right. So did she get I don't think she got it directly from God. I think she got it from Adam. And then why would she pay more attention to Adam than to the snake who seems to know what's going on? And the weird thing is the snake doesn't lie. Right. Mm. The snake says when you eat this fruit, you're not going to die. Well, you know, they live for another couple of centuries and so you're not going to die. Um, but your eyes will be open and you will know the distinction between good and evil. And that's exactly what happens. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, plus, yeah. plus God made the snake. And the Bible says that the snake was the most cunning of creatures that God had made. Mm. So you can kind of backtrack to who's actually responsible here. 
Yeah. Well, and and then I'm I'm going to go off on another track of what you made a comment about Martha because I I love Martha as well. Um, talking about her being a little bit deceitful in the way that she was trying to get her way. And that made me think of, I, I love saying, you, you need to correct me, Shipra and Pua, yep. the midwives in, in Exodus, even though you're writing about the gospel and all of a sudden I'm going into the Old Testament here. But I, I look at what they did, their creative disobedience held off genocide, right? And, and when women are bold like that, it's so inspiring to really think of what they were doing at for especially in that time with Pharaoh. So tell tell us a little bit more of your thoughts on that one. Um, Shifra and Pua are the two midwives who aid the Israelite women because Pharaoh, and it's not the Pharaoh, it's Pharaoh. Um, that's Pharaoh. It really means like great house. Because um, Pharaoh had had been concerned that the Israelite population might grow, and if it did, it would rebel and ally with enemies. Um, so first he enslaves them, uh, then he makes life even harder for them, uh, and finally he decides, because they're still producing, uh, that every single baby born to the Israelites, born to the Hebrews, be thrown into the Nile River. So what do you do if you're the midwives in charge of this? You just lie to Pharaoh. And said, oh, we couldn't get there on time. They're really rigorous. Um, and in fact, they lie very cleverly because they say the Israelite women, they're, they're like animals, you know, out there in the field. And that <laughs> plays into Pharaoh's prejudice because he's not looking at them as fully human. So yeah. you, I, they're so smart. But other women in the Bible do this, too. Um, uh, after Ruth spends this evening um, uh, with Boaz on the threshing floor. And Boaz gives gives her some grain to go back. It's really highly metaphorical, like he gives her seed. Um, she goes back to her mother-in-law, whose name is Naomi, and said, Boaz told me to bring this to you. No, he didn't. Um, but she's making Naomi, who's probably pretty lonely and, and feeling pretty bereft of everything, she's making mm -hmm. Naomi feel like she's noticed. So sometimes these women who, who might not seem to have any power actually do, but they have to go to outside channels uh, and sometimes these little white lies in order to do this. Um, I think what the Bible is asking us by telling us these stories is asking for us to make uh, an ethical judgment. Was this the right thing to do? Was it the wrong thing to do? Because mm. the Bible raises those ethical questions. That's in part what makes these stories so compelling is because they force us to make judgments. Mm -hmm. Well, now you're bringing up something else. They're they're forcing us to make judgments. And would you agree with, while gender equity might be a controversial subject in, in many churches, like e even now, you would think, oh, come on, you know, we're over that. And, and yet you look at what scripture has to say, and it, it's, it's never been that way with God. Like God routinely used women in incredible ways to advance his plans, his kingdom, uh, his plans here on earth, and he's still doing it today. So I, I know we're, we're getting off track of we were going to be talking about Easter, <laughs> gospel, <laughs> but it's your fault. You're bringing up all of this. So <laughs> when we're talking about women being resourceful and what they're doing and they're making those ethical judgments, what's what's going on? What do you where do you think we are with all this gender equity in, in the churches? Um, I would like to see it in my own synagogue, which is an orthodox synagogue. There is no gender equity. 
but things are a whole lot more open than they were 50 years ago. And that's because mm-hmm. of uh, it's primarily because of education and mm-hmm. women speaking up um, years ago when we joined this Orthodox synagogue. Um, the, the rabbi at the time, he's since died. Very, very nice guy. He's an old guy. Very sweet. Said to me. Why do you spend all this time studying Christianity when you could you could have been studying, you know, medieval Judaism? And I said, because the Jews won't let me into the yeshiva. I couldn't get mm-hmm. into some of those programs because it, I mean, I could now, but a lot of them at the time were simply closed to women. So I said, you know, had had Judaism been open to ordaining women back in the day, I might have been more interested. And he nodded and he said, that's right. Mm-hmm. Um, the first Jewish woman ordained in, in modern era, the modern era is 1972. Mm. Um, so where's the problem? We have people saying, like, for example, there's this fantastic woman in the book of Judges, chapters four and five, named Deborah, and she's a judge. And she, she she's also a military leader. She's fabulous. Um, but when you look at how Deborah has been looked at by ch- people in the church over the centuries, they say things like, oh, well, Deborah rose up because there wasn't a man to do it. In other words, when men are incapable, women come and take their place. But generally, we look at men as capable. So let's put the women back in the household. Um, and we, or things like, Jesus did not ordain any women, so therefore women cannot serve as ministers in the church. Well, first of all, Jesus didn't ordain technically anybody. Mm. Uh, Second, there are women who are identified as disciples, like Tabitha. Um, There are... uh, it's also the case that Jesus, if, if you want to look at the 12 apostles or minus Judas, right, um, as, as ordained by Jesus, then you can make the argument that he didn't ordain anybody who wasn't Jewish either, mm-hmm. um, you know, and who wasn't from the Middle East either. But sort of Gentiles from the rest of the globe have done pretty well if they're men in the church. So you have all these arbitrary comments. Or when Paul says that women should not teach or have authority in First Corinthians, well, why are we basing our teaching today on somebody else's male? Mm. Hmm. And and that leads us to back to your book, as Jesus. That was a good segue, Patty. Thank yes, you. there we go. Because Jesus chose women, and. What let's let's talk about that. Why do you think Jesus chose women and and what happened there at the cross and then at the tomb? We have Mary Magdalene, who is consistent across all four Gospels at both cross and tomb Mm -hmm. Um, in the Gospel of Mark. Mark tells us the disciples forsook him and fled and there were but there were women there. They were at a distance, but they're actually women there. And then what happens is the Gospel of John uh, brings the mother of Jesus and Mary Magdalene and and another Mary up close right at the foot of the cross. So already we're not exactly sure who was there, uh, what Jesus said, what was said to him and what was done, other than the fact that we know he was crucified. Because the Gospel writers are not writing history like here's exactly what happened. They're trying to tell the story like pastors would to provide uh, pastoral care and information to their readers and to their auditors. Um, it was women who went to the tomb. Of course, women went to the tomb. Uh, Matthew gets it right, I think. Matthew says they went there to look at the tomb. That's what people did, because sometimes you know, folks got buried and they weren't actually dead. And sometimes you went to the tomb because you went there to mourn. When Mark says the women, and this is Mark, Mark, God bless him. Mark tells us in chapter 15, like toward the end, as Jesus dies, oh, there were women who were following him from the time he was in Galilee. And that means we have to go back to Mark chapter one to figure out where all the women are because we didn't know. 
Um, and when the women get to the tomb in Mark and they meet this young man who's probably an angel because he's wearing white and, you know, angels wear white. You can tell by <laughs> accessories. It's hard to keep stuff white in the Middle East. Um, and the angel says, don't you remember he told you he was going to go before you went to Galilee? And then you have to go back to in the rest of Mark to figure out where Jesus made that prediction in the first place. Where did he make it as he's leaving the Last Supper and going to Gethsemane? Which is a good reason then to say that if the women are supposed to remember that, it meant they had to have been at the Last Supper and on the road to Gethsemane. Mm. Gosh, Mark drives me crazy. Um uh, in in Mark, the women three three named women go to the tomb. They're, they're planning on anointing the body. They're a little late. Um, as they're going, they're thinking, "Yeah, I wonder who's going to roll the stone away," which is really bad planning, right? Um, and they want to anoint the body, but Jesus' body has already been anointed. So that's Mark sixteen. If you go back to Mark fourteen, at this first supper during Holy Week, a woman comes in and and anoints Jesus on his head. And, you know, people at the dinner complain that you could have spent the money on, you know, food for the poor or something like that. And Jesus says, you will, you'll always have the poor with you, which is a direct quote from Deuteronomy. The next line is, therefore, extend your hand to the poor and needy. But Jesus says, but you won't always have me. And she has done a good thing because she has anointed me for my burial. He's mm -hmm. already been anointed. Mm -hmm. So what happens? Three named women don't get it. They get it wrong. But this unnamed woman whom we had not seen before gets it exactly right. And the same thing happens with the men in the Gospel of Mark. Three named men, Peter, James, and John, muck up in Gethsemane. Jesus says, stay awake. They fall asleep. Jesus wakes them up and says, you know, I'm really in agony here. Can, can you just stay awake? They <laughs> fall asleep again. And then they run away. But an unnamed man who comes in from the outside, the centurion at the cross, sees Jesus die and pronounces him a son of God. Mm. Here's Mark saying, you know, all these named people that might look important to you, sometimes it's these unnamed figures mm. who might be strangers to your community, outsiders, and they have something to teach you too, men and women both. Mm. Mm. I'm just letting that set in <laughs> because it, you see that so much in scripture, right? And well, yeah, see it if you pay attention to it. You pay yeah. attention to the women. I yeah. can tell you, by the way, why the women get ignored, because it's very easy to figure out. Tell us, tell us, tell us. Okay, here, here there's a list. First of all, uh, many of them do not have names, right? So these these heroic women who take healing from Jesus, like the the woman with the hemorrhage, who who thinks if if I, if I can just touch the fringes mm -hmm. of his garment. Um, well, you don't name your daughter hemorrhaging woman. You know, I'd like you to meet hemorrhaging woman Smith. That's not going to work real well. Um, so they they don't fit into the list of saints. They they don't get mentioned in in uh, in resources like you know you look up in a Bible dictionary hemorrhaging woman. She's not going to be there. Um, uh, they they have singular appearances. So unlike the disciples or the Pharisees, who you're going to meet from chapter to chapter, uh, the women are a one shot deal. And if you happen to miss church on the one Sunday that the woman actually is showing up in the Bible reading, you might not get her for another three years or mm -hmm. so. I mean, then we conflate them. So this anointed, the woman who anoints Jesus in the gospel of Luke, she's called a woman who, from the city who was a sinner. Oh, and then everybody says the sin must be prostitution as if that's the only sin women are capable yeah. of committing, right? We, we get imaginations. Yeah. Um, uh, and then the next chapter introduces Mary Magdalene. So, oh, Mary Magdalene must be the woman who was the sinner. You know, now I'm down one woman. Um, and then Mary Magdalene gets associated with Mary, the sister of Martha. Now I'm down two women. 
um, it, when preachers preach, this happens in churches, um, it, they don't often preach on women as much as they preach on men. Why? Because women can identify with male characters. So women can be the prodigal son or the, the prudent older brother or the dad, but men don't usually identify with Mary and Martha. Mm. So if you're going to preach and you want to reach more people in your congregation, you're likely to preach about male characters rather than female characters. Yeah. Um, and finally, we keep sexualizing them um, and that becomes a problem and they become less identifiable. They're either the Madonna or the whore. And, and that's not helpful either because it, yeah. it takes out the diversity of all these quite different, quite distinct, indeed, unique women characters. Yeah, so interesting. I know um, Bad Girls of the Bible, the first yeah. time I read that book. Uh, the, the reality of, yeah, exactly what you said. It's like, how come I, how come I haven't really done my own research on this? And when I was reading through scripture and having my quiet time, why did I just bypass that? Why did it, it was just that one little sentence I didn't really look into? And uh, just like you're saying with Martha, when you're really digging in to what that, those, those little parts of the scripture. Uh, it, it's big. It's it's so big. And yet I feel like even the way I was brought up, I just discarded it myself. Well, that's the brilliant thing that you're redoing in your shows is you're allowing your listeners to recenter. Mm -hmm. So you've always been told X is important. It might turn out that Y is just as important. Mm. And you're also encouraging people, I think, helpfully read for yourself. Don't be satisfied with what you've always been taught. Read for yourself. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I know we just have a couple more minutes here. And I, I just want to say once again, AJ, such an honor to have you on the show. And as as we're wrapping up, because I, I do want to inspire people who are listening to, to get into God's word, to really read and and also to look at what what Wonder Woman is inspiring you? Like that is our question for today. I mean, we talked about some, but we haven't even touched on, you know, Hannah, Esther, Rahab. There's so many more to really dive into. And I also just want to apologize if you have been doing ministry or you you've been in the church and you've you have felt less than or overlooked to go make those bold choices and and take a stance and really fight for the women um, of of today, uh, just like you did, AJ, and talking to the rabbi and letting him know your thoughts on that. So we have one more minute. What would you like to share? What is just a tip you would like to give our listeners? I like to start in the beginning. Uh, in the beginning, we are told, uh, Male and female are in the image and likeness of God. So women, when you look in the mirror, you are looking at the image of God. And mm. that will give you strength to persevere. Mm. I, I'm writing that down. You, We know that. We are created in God's image. So yes, go out there and be bold, be strong, get radical. And with that, thanks for listening to Girlfriend Ed. And thank you once again, Dr. Levine. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to Girlfriend It because our girlfriends are where we get our best tips for life. Find us on Facebook at Girlfriend It. Hit subscribe to iTunes or toginet.com.